I I have um save it for the pod. I took my uh my relative surplus value pills, so I think I'm ready to record. <laughs> that's that's Andy's uh it's a good name for info. I, his his idea, yeah, like his idea for a uh, an ad for uh, Adderall. Yeah, there's just a guy walking around like with the the clock ticking. He's like, oh, I feel like absolute surplus value right now. <laughs> I can only work for eight hours. And, and then a capitalist pharmaceutical executive shows up and he's like, Well, I have just the yeah. thing for you. And like, there's two uh, what salmon colored pills. Yeah. And he's like, What does he say? He's like. Uh, Try some relative surplus value. <laughs> or, or how about his boss comes to his desk and says, hey, we're going to need you to uh, triple your output um, in, uh, in one hour oh my less. God. He's like, oh, no, how am I going to do that? And then a doctor. Speed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, keep going. This is good. What, so then what happens? The doctor, comes, go on the the doctor comes in. He's like, sounds like you're suffering from absolute surplus value. <laughs> And then uh, at the end, like, it's like a shiny, happy future Uh where the guy's, like, just at his desk, just typing away like a fucking madman. And the boss is giving a thumbs up in the background. (laughs) And then we use my tagline, blow Adderall, not deadline. (laughs) Boom. Yeah, we should write copy for, like, a very small Marxist demographic of people out there. (laughs) Like, what am I doing with my life? Yeah, Antifada... promotions we could have a pr company yeah. <laughs> sounds like a michael brooks thing well uh-huh. as, as uh you know as socialism becomes more acceptable i think perhaps there might be a niche market for like uh obscure value references within commercials and stuff mm-hmm. make value make value theory great again <laughs> i thought you said Indeed. make value for a second <laughs> make value theory great again get your great value maximize your value abolish the value form <laughs> gonna be great <laughs> a boston mcvalue menu <laughs> yeah. it, it's but, like use value uh exchange value and mcvalue <laughs> those are the three kinds of value that's like in marx sort of... right yes i think that's the great the great marxist philosopher ronald mcdonald i never fin- <laughs> i never finished the uh, theories of surplus value so maybe, maybe <laughs> you never learned about the trifold uh character <laughs> Where's the hamburger fit into all this? Sesame bun, uh, special sauce. There's like the song, right, about the Big Mac. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know it. I'm not a capitalist. Grimace is lumpin' as fuck, right? I mean, he's lumpy. The, ha- the hamburger is lumpin'. I think the hamburger is the capitalist. No, he's lumpin' no. as fuck, dude. No. He's, he's an illegalist. He's, he's stealing. <laughs> he's not... <laughs> He was he was stealing. I guess I'm trying to figure out if like the stealing of the hamburgers is like allegorical or literal in the narrative. Uh, the... He like, steals hamburgers from the from the company and then like leaves one out for the people. I guess mm. if there's a I guess there's a reason why like Ronald McDonald is like so happy, right? Because he's like Ronald he's, McDonald uh, he's sitting on top is of the, the fucking capital. Yeah, he's oh, sitting yeah. on top of the he's system. He's like the smiling face of capital. But he's he also owns your ass. he's also that like philoso- that philanthropic guy too, right? Because there's like the Ronald McDonald Foundation, so it's like Bill right. Gates giving away all his money to privatize schools and shit. You know, Ronald McDonald sit on his lap. You know, he definitely won't get a boner because. He's, uh, his happy meals are... But he's a uh, clown, and what's, the clowns are not creepy at all. No, nothing ever, ever bad happened with someone dressing up like a like, clown. Because his like, blood pressure is like so fucked up from eating french fries and burgers, he can't <laughs> get it up. Well, if Donald Trump can survive oh. off that shit, Ronald McDonald's going to live for a million years. It's going to be a thousand-year Reich. Oh. oh, that's a hell of a way to start a show. Wow. Well, are we starting? Are we recording? That was a cold open. We are. That oh, that's great. I'm so oh, glad. Oh, that's yeah. I'm so glad. That was a cold open, guys. The Antifada is more than a podcast. It's a specter haunting the globe. It is the synthesis of the two most frightening things for the cheerleaders of this reactionary hell world. 
one ravaged by the unbounded savagery of capital and its states. Antifa super soldiers and intifada. Bash the fashion of global uprising. Be prepared to enter the Antifada mindset. I'm Jamie Peck. I'm Sean KB. And I'm AP Andy. And we are broadcasting not live from Leftist Fest headquarters, about a half hour walk away from the gentrification ravaged Gowanus Canal in the coastal elite bubble of America, downtown Brooklyn, USA. That's right. And we are very happy to welcome our returning guest. First our- ever returning guest, folks. Aaron motherfucking Petkoff. Pwah, pwah. Hey, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> so Aaron was on, what, our second ever episode? Number two. So like... Wow. I guess you can tell us uh, if we've made any progress since then. Or... My, how, how much you've all grown. It's, it's oh. beautiful. It's, it's wonderful to watch, you know. Uh... Your children grow up. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> you guys well, are going to be leaving the house soon, starting college. <laughs> Coming uh, back and living with your parents again. In this gen- well, in this day, day, Dad age. did let us back in the basement, so <laughs> that is uh, pretty Thank, apt for thanks, today. Thanks, Sam Cedar. Yeah. <laughs> if, the, if you notice a, uh, Cedar. <laughs> a marked uh, increase in the quality of the audio, it's because Dad let us back in the house. Hell yeah. We're uh, all in our That 30s. was his first mistake. <laughs> you guys are saving the best for me. I really, it right. means a lot. Listen, only the best for you, Aaron. <laughs> Welcome so, to our basement. So, <laughs> Would you stay a while? <laughs> <clears throat> If, if it seems like uh, we've all got the giggles, it's probably because We're we have been at the no, beach all day, uh, which leads me to a question that we always ask here on the Antifada. I think you know what it is. And that question is, how pure is your hate today? Aaron? Extremely unpure. It's, it's, barely, it's barely detectable. Yeah, I feel very relaxed from yeah, the beach. That's, that's kind of what I was getting yeah, at. Yeah, the beach yeah. was lit. Yeah, the beach was so fucking nice. Oh, my God. Ha- you can't hate after you get back from, like, the sand and the surf and friends and, you know. Especially and- not when you're full of juice and dreams. Yeah, we love to give shout-outs on this show. And big motherfucking shout-out to Juice and Dreams, which is not even a company. It's probably just a guy. He's not a businessman. He's a businessman. <laughs> That's right. And he wears, uh, what was he wearing? Bob Marley shorts? Bob Marley shorts. shorts. Beautiful Bob Marley shorts. Uh, I'd say it was cultural appropriation, but uh, given his accent, I think that is totally within his rights to wear those. He gave us a great deal on some bulk uh, nutcrackers. And I'm not sure that our national or international audience really knows perhaps what nutcrackers are does anybody want to enlighten the folks these were actually just like cocktails in a plastic container like usually the nutcrackers that you get on the beach are kind of gross but good they're like they basically taste like frozen like cough syrup mixed with a slushy and it's like um basically grain alcohol and um a whole lot of sweetness but this was actually like a well-mixed cocktail that's why the shout-out goes to Juice and Dreams. But, the, yeah, the, the regular Nutcracker is kind of an institution, I'd say, right, in the I'm, New York City beach community? I've never actually had one. What? I go to the beach all the time. I know. This is, it feels really embarrassing to admit. Oh, you never see the guy walking around saying, what? ice cold beer, no, rum punch I mean, here. of course I see him. I just, you don't I've never, buy it? No. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I mean, today I was like, mm, I've learned from experience not to drink these because bad stuff happens. And he's like, what happens? I'm like, oh, I just get really drunk. 
Yeah. Spoiler He's alert! Like, That's not bad. <laughs> I usually just bring my own booze, but uh, well, the know. nutcracker is great in a pinch because a it's like just filled with sugar and filled with alcohol, and um, it's like why like schlep your fucking alcohol to the beach when there's a guy that just walks up and down with a cooler yelling nutcracker, nutcracker, and you buy it and it's you true. drink it and it's cold and it's good and it fucks you up. And now that we're broadcasting it. Uh, it's gonna go away, probably. Damn it! Oh no! Like all good oh. things, right? No. Like, oh, yeah. let's like like Andy and I were talking about this earlier at the beach. Like, I think Jamie and Aaron, you guys probably know this too, but where the where we went for Tilden. Uh, I'm kind of doxing us. If anybody wants to find us on a Sunday, they'll probably know In where we are. In a very vulnerable state, might I <laughs> uh, add. Indeed. Uh, semi-clothed. But yeah, there's a, an awesome, bizarre beach area called, called Fort Tilden on the Rockaway Peninsula that's actually not even part of the city. It's part of uh, Gateway National Park. So there are a whole set of rules, uh, different rules apply. Uh, it basically means uh, tits Maritime out. Maritime law. Dicks out. <laughs> it's, it's, it's international waters, basically. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Uh, so you can smoke whatever you feel like smoking, drink whatever you feel like drinking. Uh, every once in a while, like a horse cop will come by, but it's not even a cop. It's a park official, so it's like not even a big deal. In fact, if you don't have an open container and at least part of your genitalia exposed, they might ask you to leave. That's that's actually happening. That's to maritime law. That's maritime the future law. liberals want. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, if that's what the liberals want, then uh, they should come to the left because we want even more. Nice. I, want, I want maritime uh, law to include everything up to 3,000 miles from the ocean. But yeah, the fucking <laughs> Fort Tilden, you know, over the last like four or five years, it went from this really out of the way spot and like, and a gay beach and a gay part beach. of it. Yeah, yeah. It's like well, a gay, still naked, is. awesome beach. Still is to an extent. Been right? invaded by breeders. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> fucking cha- breeders. It's changed a lot because it was like a. It's called Fort Tilden because it was literally like a fort, and there's all these old, weird, abandoned buildings there and shit. And I've peed in many of them. Kind of desolated, and uh, four or five years ago, before they started sending like private fancy buses down there from like the hipster parts of Brooklyn, uh, uh, you could go. Those fucking hipsters in I Brooklyn know. and Bushwick, fuck them. It turned like what was kind of like uh, what uh, our best favorite uh, pedo anarchist Hakeem Bay would call a temporary. <laughs> autonomous zone uh, into a bit more of just a normal beach but it still has some of its charms it's still a good place to go it's like the tattoo beach it's where, if you want to see the very standard Sailor Jerry flash that's the place to be pretty much yeah I remember as, oh, as no, Aaron points him. to his giant bicep with the Sailor Jerry yeah. on. it's where I go whenever I want to remember I'm an individual just like everybody else oh, that's right the- remember when uh, when we were going to go to the beach with your mom babe and uh, I'm like oh should we take her to Fort Tilden and you're like, I'm not taking my mom to the Titty Beach. <laughs> like, what? Which is so fair. I mean, do you want to go to Titty Beach with your mom? I, yeah, I would totally. Uh, well. But maybe I have a different kind of relationship with well, my mom. Well, you're a daughter. I'm a son. It's totally different. I mean, my mom is an anarchist, but like, we're, we're, she, we don't go that far. <laughs> okay, so anarchism, totally fine. Boobs. Not fine. I just, I'd rather, anyway, let's just move the fuck <laughs> off this topic. I think uh, what I wanted to say was like, you know, we're to- have to put like Sean on the couch. Like, <laughs> no, dude, seriously. No, I have therapy tomorrow afternoon. I mean, you guys just gave me mad, mad ammunition for that shit. Uh, my therapist, uh, if you're listening, uh, just take notes. This is what we'll be dealing with tomorrow. Um, Tilden is like <laughs> I'm trying to think of like a Freud accent, like Sean. Why do you not want to take your mother to the to the Beach? What, what is it? How about? does this make you feel? <laughs> I think she might get a kick out of it. 
uh, she moved out of the city, so it's all it's all for my friend had a sorry, this is a bit of a sidebar, but my friend had to quit like seeing it he had to break up with his therapist because he found out <laughs> while he was talking to his therapist. His therapist was like drawing like drawing uh doodles of like women with enormous tits. What? <laughs> How did he find out? Because he turned around at one point and he heard he heard, pa- he heard the page like flipping and he's like, What the fuck was that? And turns around and sees him drawing. He's like, What are you That's like something out of family guy? <laughs> it was the funniest fucking story. He's drawing like like it's always sunny style like Dennis doodles of like women with enormous tits. <laughs> okay. Very He's like I can, my friend Wait, was like I cannot see can a therapist. Your therapist that's like, can your friend get me a recommendation? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's how he takes notes. You know, it's like all the parts of the guy's subconscious. Look, people, people I want to see the anime porn women. therapist. <laughs> people like to break it down because you know Freud had a lot of children. So there's like the Jungians, like Lobster King. Uh, you know, there's like the Reich, you know, type people, um, not Third Reich, but Wilhelm Reich. But I think that ultimately the way you can break down uh, the whole field is by tits or ass. If you so your titties. psychotherapist is either a, t- a titty guy or an ass guy. Pretty much. So um, <laughs> that one wanna... really just did not pop at all. <laughs> <Devolved>. <laughs> you know, can't, Let's move on. Can't land them all. So uh, <laughs> speaking of um, ruining things, uh, I recently went to a DIY show at this newish space in Bushwick, and it was really exciting for me because it reminded me of shows I'd been to like. I don't know, 10 years earlier, like my early years in New York. I'm like, I'm so glad that this is still happening somewhere. And it's it's just moving farther and farther out. And it's still it's still good. This is still good, right? There was like noise. There was punk. There was techno at the end. My friend Sophie brought me there. Shout out to Sophie. Sophie, what's up? Friend of the show. Um, She's in Australia. Hi. Yeah. Um, and then I found out later that, I mean, I guess I can say the name of the space now because it's fucking gone. It's called Heck. It was. It was called Heck. All good things are gone. R.I.P. Heck. And then I found out later, Andy told me a story that made me really fucking angry. What's the story? Andy, what's the story? Well, there was a a very charming BuzzFeed quiz that went viral. uh, What what was the quiz? Which shitty Bushwick dude uh, did you date? Hard-hitting journalism. So it says, like, what what bar did you go to in Bushwick? What uh, DIY show did you go to afterwards? And then the DIY spaces were, um, I think... Two of them were not legit venues oh. that probably did not want to be in a viral BuzzFeed quiz. Oh. And there's no evidence that the place got raided because of being on this viral quiz, but it did get raided just a few days after the quiz. And people were concerned because of the quiz before the raid that there might be a raid. So to all our friends out there in media, if there's something really cool going on, despite your best temptations, if it's underground, if there's illegal activity going on, just don't blog it. Don't tweet it. Don't, you know, just keep it away from the fun police who are the real police. That is actually like, I think the worst uh, journalistic mispractice uh, that we've seen uh, malpractice, I should say, since uh, the yellow journalism about the USS Maine in uh, Cuba that brought us into the Spanish uh, American war of 19, uh, 1898. Um, I'm shocked and appalled by it. And if we have to go to war with anybody, let's go to war with BuzzFeed this time. <laughs> yeah, well, we like should, Buzz because they're, uh, they just uh, they just closed their French their French offices. Did they? Yeah, they I... closed their French uh, section. Were Le there Adre labor Mont. issues? Mont uh, were there labor issues? There there were, but uh, we're going to get into that later, I suppose. Oh, okay, but... I heard that they uh, tried to fight the union when the BuzzFeed union happened. Uh, the French one. I don't think BuzzFeed is union. No, jo- Jonah Peretti circulated a fucking memo explaining why oh. unions oh, are not right. right for BuzzFeed. Yeah. But we can uh, we can get to that later. Yeah. So uh, 
I think we're all pretty happy right now. A um, couple nutcrackers will do it. The beach, Tilden. Well, well, yes, this too. Uh, we've had some. Yeah, it's been a crazy week. We've had some set, some real setbacks for the left. We've had some good stuff. Let's start with the good stuff. Uh, fucking shout out to Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. Hell yeah! You won. That was really awesome. Well, when you won, you shocked the shit out of mad people. Yeah, I think it shocked even her herself, judging from the video. Yeah. No kidding. Uh, and it's like, uh, we talked about it the other night at the DSA meeting, because the DSA worked really hard on her campaign. And we had field offices in uh, Queens and the Bronx, both. And uh, like we took a minute to just like let it all out and feel good about it, because we don't usually get concrete wins like that. Sure. And Especially when we do, in a week like this. Yeah. Oh, and when we do, it's important to enjoy them before getting back to work because we have a lot of work left to do so when i found out about it i was as shocked as anybody else not that i followed it that much but i was sitting uh, on coffee break uh in a horribly industrial section of new jersey in the middle of fucking nowhere an industrial wasteland at work and um the news that she won popped up on my feed and i was like super hyped and then by the time i was done with work uh janice had gone down oh all God. the other horrible shit and like kennedy had retired uh, the the Supreme Court justice. Yep. So, uh, you know, I was like, you know, feeling pretty decent about the world for, I don't know, like three or four hours. Yeah. And then it was a real roller coaster ride of yeah, emotions that day. Hard. That is what it was. Yeah. I'm trying to remember, like, I remember feeling really good about um, the about AOC's victory, like because uh, of the, the Muslim ban being mm. upheld. And then I felt like, oh, it was like we had this loss, but then we had this win. But then right after all the losses, yeah, it was a real, <laughs> real roller coaster for for, for comrades. I think earlier, I think you said uh, it was a real loss for the left. I mean, I think if you look at these decisions, like it's just a loss for like humans, yeah. like American humans. You know, you've got the Muslim ban thing and then you've got the racial gerrymandering, which was upheld like, oh, yeah, racial gerrymandering. That's cool. Keep doing that. And then, Jamie, I think you wanted to go off on this one. The uh, crisis pregnancy centers thing. Yeah. In a minute. First, oh, are we doing good news first? I'm sorry. First, first, I wanted to play a bit of lighthearted audio. Um, people argue back and forth a bit, uh, or at least, you know, people I know about whether Ocasio-Cortez is a democratic socialist or a social democrat. I think based on most of what she has said in public, she's a social democrat, which is like fucking fine compared to what we have now it's fucking great yeah, i'll take it we can be we can be friends with social democrats right guys i would take i definitely it's a huge improvement over what we have available to yeah, us yeah no fucking you guys shit were social democrats andy's oh, <laughs> oh, shit. Andy's, that, that is a burn coming from andy <laughs> andy's like fucking around on his phone he's like you reformist trash <laughs> fuck all you mentioned <laughs> we are hey reformist one man's trash. reformist trash is another reformist treasure <laughs> so, but no so like i'm for reforms frankly but she she oh Okay. That's a very Damn, controversial. I just got, I just you're kicked, you're yeah. kicked yeah. out of the ISO. Uh, but make those cricket sounds. Like, do the cricket sound drop after he says that for like, <laughs> for like five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, you know, I'm fucking you, with you. you go back and forth. Whether is she a democratic socialist? Is she a social democrat? Whatever. The point is, she's out there saying the S word on the television to Stephen Colbert. And, uh, you know, a lot of people have joined the DSA since then. It was a bigger bump in our membership than either the uh, Trump win in 2016 or J20. Um, We got over a thousand new members in like 24 hours after she won, which is fucking insane. And they're now doing segments on MSNBC 
doing their best job trying to explain what democratic socialism is because a lot of people have been Googling it. So I just wanted to play this. You know, it's really important here at the Antifada that we do political education all the time um, for ourselves and our listeners. So I just thought this was a really good um, introduction to uh, the world of democratic socialism. From noted Marxist Stephanie Rule. <laughs> Welcome back to Velshi and Rule with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's primary win Tuesday night here in New York. The term democratic socialism was the most searched term on Merriam-Webster's website. Why would you so what are there? we talking about here? The word most people focus on is socialism. But while democratic socialists pull some ideas from that ideology, they are not traditional social socialists there is no call for communal ownership of production pause it <laughs> counterpoint yes it is <laughs> uh you guys listening can't see it right now but it's got uh the word socialism and stamped with a big old not not oh not you not <laughs> socialism like, oh i totally want workers to control the means of production not <laughs> psych uh, shut the fuck but you up. know what let's let's hear her out Here's what else it is not. Communism. Most people use <laughs> communism and socialism interchangeably. Man. Even Karl Marx. Even but Karl communism Marx. is a political he ideology. Like while that? socialism yeah. centers more on economics. They're related, but none of this has to do with democratic socialists. What they do call for is the enactment of certain socialist ideas through the democratic process, meaning everyone Aaron's has a vote on right whether now. they are a good <laughs> idea or not. In many countries, democratic socialists work alongside other parties in broad coalitions. Their goal is to control prices of essential services like uh, medicine banking regulations affordable education and the ability to work all sounds reasonable all of the that ability is to work to minimize economic inequality and allow everyone in society to not just survive but have the ability to thrive and enjoy life a concept they call bread and roses and if you think some of these <laughs> ideas of are too alien yeah. to I american culture take a look that. at this <laughs> social security is a pension system run by the government mm -hmm. medicaid and medicare our government-run <sighs> medical services. Mm -hmm. Even Amtrak is a government-owned transportation system. Shout out to Amtrak. All of these are hallmarks of democratic right socialist policy. Right. This democratic. is the important part. Uh, uh, joining us now, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, right, right. the Democratic nominee. Oh, they did it right before she came on. That's adorable. <laughs> wow. So, the news. Fuck these how people. do you feel, um, guys, about how socialists are fighting really hard for your ability to work? I that's a very that whole uh, segment right there like has me very conflicted because on the one hand I think anything that ups like the idea that there's an alternative to this fucking hellscape that we live in is cool. On the other hand, um, there's like a very like concerny sort of piece about like don't be scared by socialism. Yeah. It's like a nice thing. Like you know the roads are socialist. Like this very fucking bullshit argument you hear all the time. Like you know we have a we have a mixed economy. Like anytime the government does stuff, that's socialism. The military socialist. What's well, like the whole idea? I mean like. What the left definitely doesn't need right now, and what I, it's, I mean, what the left definitely doesn't need right now is the is people who are, are people who are not part of our project apologizing for us. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe that's why they're doing it because it's precisely not what we need. But uh. I mean, the whole idea. I mean, well, it sounds like they're not apologizing for us so much as uh, trying in good faith to explain what we are and what we do but not representing us that accurately. But I'm also like kind but, of fucking fine with it if that's what normal people think socialism is. Because they're representing it actually in yeah. a generous and way then, that's like kind of like mainstreaming it. 
in a sense. Yeah. And Which then, we hate, but like is worse than true. them shitting on it. Once know. they show up to the DSA meetings, we can tell them what it really is. And, you know, maybe they'll stay. Maybe they won't. When they become we'll a level two operating democratic socialist thetan, then we tell them <laughs> that we actually want to abolish the value form uh, money. And we want to uh, basically just do full communism in like three, four months. I mean, I don't even think we need to tell them. The second they get involved, it's going to be like, you know, full luxury gay space communism in three months. <laughs> For themselves. <laughs> well, it's like, there's that meme, like, right after, uh, there's that, like, 2017 meme or whatever, like, that was, like, me at the beginning of 2017 holding up, like, a Bernie Sanders sign, and me after, and it's like, Stalin did nothing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That, um, that's very memic because uh, Stalinism is huge on the uh, Twitter and left book left. They did a nice job describing social democracy, though. So, like, yeah. I mean, it's I think, not so far off. I think that's incredible that, like, what's happening right now is that, I mean, for the first time in uh, in, in decades and in, in probably over half a century, this, I don't even think this level of discourse and mainstream conversation about, like, socialism, I mean, it certainly didn't happen uh, in the 60s, I don't think. Um, and the idea that, like, now this is like becoming such a mainstream idea and, um, and, you know, and, and something to, that people actually have to reckon with on like, in, in, you know, big news outlets and, in, in, you know, in mainstream political institutions, uh, they actually have to start talking about it, which it's good. As I mean, hell. it's incredible. Yeah. I mean, That's even the, the good part. fact that they have to do a segment about this on MSNBC is like, awesome yeah if the worst thing that's happening in mainstream media coverage of socialism is that they're misclassifying us by yeah. like watering down what we want that's a good problem to have yeah like like sh- they're basically like uh sheepdogging people into like uh becoming communists and i'm cool with that because <laughs> once they meet us they'll realize that like communism is way cooler than fucking just watered down <laughs> bullshit they're talking about so you know indeed uh, and also then- if we won half of the stuff that they're talking about on that <laughs> yeah <laughs> We want pretty much everything she talked about except for the ability to work. (laughs) (laughs) We want to deprive people of that. It's true. Not the ability, but like the necessity. The necessity. Capitalism exists, right? I mean, the only thing worse than being exploited is not being, is not having anyone like buy your labor. That's one of my favorite terms, right? Yeah. The only thing worse than being uh, unemployed under capitalism is having a job. Yeah. Like the federal jobs guarantee is a good example of that, right? Because as long as we're going to have capitalism and people have to sell their labor power in order to survive, it would be great to create a floor that uh, jobs can't go below. And that's what the federal jobs guarantee is trying to do. Right. I'm not sold on that shit, to be honest with you. Like, the, it, I, there's a big debate between the federal jobs guarantee and the UBI right now. But Why um, not both. Well, yeah, sure. Both is fine. And I think they're both like, you know, better than what we have now. But I think you got to kind of almost go back 100 years to get back to the old concept of uh, lessening the work week. Like a very mm. radical program would be every year you phase down the work week one hour, like 40 39 till you get to like 20 hours a week at the same pay of course that would have to be the policy and that does all the things that the ubi is supposed to do and the, and the jobs guarantee is supposed to do but it frees up tons of of time for people to do all the other shit in their lives that they really enjoy including socialism exactly <laughs> flat, flat. <laughs> And it's also we fun. get like an air horn. <laughs> I mean, why get an air horn when you have a fucking human beatboxer right here, folks? It's That's also... Jamie's second job or third job. <laughs> it's also funny to me to watch people uh, realize how radical a lot of DSA folks actually are. Mm-hmm. Like there was uh, someone holding up a sign at one of the rallies the other day that said abolish profit. 
and some fucking shit lib was like, LaMeo, abolish profit, ha ha ha. And Shuja Hader, the writer slash DSA member, reblogged it and he said, you better believe it, pal. <laughs> and it just, it just went from there. Also, somebody kind of in a roundabout way accused my comrade Ava of being a Russian bot because she talked to the news at the uh, ICE rally, the anti-ICE rally the other day. And they're like, the ice rally. Go ice, go, go ice, go. Hockey Deport more. They were having a rally on the ice at the hockey <laughs> rink, and she was talking to the news. And they're like, Ava, why do you hate hockey? And she's like, Because I'm Puerto Rican, bitch. No, <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Is that no, even a stereotype? No, do Puerto no, Ricans hate hockey? No, it's it's like Not Jamaican bobsledding. It's Puerto fine. Rican people like hockey. They're like, I can't think of one <laughs> NHL team that has. They're like, I can't think of one NHL team no, in Puerto they were Rico. Like, oh. Oh, Ava, why do, uh, what do you think about this uh, ice thing? And she's like, we want to abolish ice. It's really bad. And they're like, but what's going to replace ice? And she did not fucking stutter. She's like, nothing. Open borders. Fuck yeah. And then some, some, uh, some right winger posted it. And they're like, this is what liberals want. No, it's what this fucking is what, socialists want. This is the new Democratic Party. This is what liberals are doing. Yeah, we fucking and, wish. Uh, I mean, that, the most offensive part of this so far, I mean, obviously, is that is what liberals want. Calling right? my <laughs> calling my leftist comrade a liberal, but um, then some some fucking shit lib reblogged it like, this is not what any liberals want. This is some Russian bot misinformation that you're spreading. But it was like. I mean, in a way, they were. She was right because, like, my friend's not a liberal. But so these people now think that uh, people who look like human beings and go to rallies and do interviews are Russian robots. <laughs> like, <laughs> like we just have cyborgs now. Oh, man, they've reached the level of Westworld. You can't even tell. Oh, fuck. I mean, I haven't scanned her neck, so <laughs> no spoilers. Perhaps it no remains to two be spoilers. seen. Like, confirmed human being being like it's just. <laughs> Give her the test from Blade Runner. Avoid <laughs> <laughs> oh comp. I think I know some like actual humans You're on the left who the might not pass that test. Yeah, yeah, actually, that's do? true. Much much of the left probably might not pass the Turing test. <laughs> it's like you're you're walking across the desert. A turtle's on its back. What do you do? I abolish ice. <laughs> The answer is always abolish ice. That's the only. That's the only thing that you can say that proves that you have empathy. Oh yeah, yeah, well, pretty much. I like where that went. So, so we have the MSNBC take on on that fucking on the what democratic socialism means, and then um, I think you guys covered this pretty well on uh, Majority Report, Jamie. Um, the Sean Hannity, which was like a kind of oh like low key uh, promotion for so you know good. what like reformist social democracy should be. Um, I, oh, it was a really good list. It was like he was trying to hate on it, but it was it like didn't work. this is the new face of the Democratic Party. This is what liberals want, and it was like healthcare for everyone, free housing for anyone who needs a home, uh, solidarity with Puerto Rico, uh, but the. But, like, the, the thing that really tipped the hand of whoever was having fun with that graphic that day was that they had support seniors on there, which, if you know anyone who watches Sean Hannity, you probably know they're a senior. Median age, 103. 
It's like definitely the one way you want to fail. The, if you want to fail the Void Comp test, is to just like look at that list of like demands <laughs> and think that any of them oh, are bad. Oh god, that's horrible. Sean Hannity is definitely a fucking replicant. Oh god, he's that the would worst explain person. a lot. That is a cha- that is a charitable interpretation of that's that true. man's behavior well, and there, ideology. Well, like Sean Hannity is because well, they I guess the replicants were actually the most humane in this in Blade Runner, right? They sh- they quoted way more Shakespeare than the humans. What? So we got the MSNBC take. You mean the MS13 NBC take? Oh, shit. You have your right-wing talking points down, AF. I thought mm-hmm. MSNBC... No, CNN is ISIS. MSNBC is MS13. Mm-hmm. Is that how we break things down now? That's who owns them. You just, oh, really? Yeah, that's who's pulling the strings. What the fuck happened to Soros? He hasn't been investing He very owns well. the DSA. <laughs> <laughs> and Antifa. I'm not saying shit. <laughs> he he just... owns this podcast. Shut the fuck up. We just oh, got shit. our check. I just doxed us. Damn it. You... <laughs> Dude, you, got... you were going to get a cut and you fucked it up. He's going to take his money back. But yeah, no, we got the uh, MS... I forget what you what horrible thing you called it. The MSNBC take. And then we got the Sean Hannity, who is a human penis. Uh, the worst person perhaps ever. But then there's the best broadcaster in all media. I mean, honestly, this guy has more skills than I think maybe anybody on this planet. And if we had a Alex Jones of the motherfucking left, I think we might be able to actually make some goddamn fucking progress. Well, what do you think we're trying for here at the Antifada, babe? None of us have Alex Jones skills. I'm so sorry. Uh, I'm looking around this room. I don't Speak see... Speak for yourself. Wow, okay. Someone's got a fucking little ego trip over here. You think you got Alex Jones material? Yeah, let's, Go ahead. Let's uh, your I don't know. Shows. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> okay, this could go wow. somewhere. Go on. Wait, Alex Jones just entered the room. <laughs> All right, uh, special I'm going to drop guest. some real truth on y'all right now. <laughs> this is a... Uh, what an infographic from Infowars about uh oh what's uh AOC um go ahead and yes, give sir. it to us yeah it, it's it's really good make the face of tyranny and suffering <laughs> if you think Venezuela is awesome you'll love Alexandria Casio Cortez <laughs> <laughs> they do not make her face into a reptilian in this infographic but I really wish she had like you know uh like a forked tongue or something like that coming they, out. They picked the ugliest, craziest photo they could find of her, and she still looks pretty cute. Which, by the way, the New York Post, I was complimenting them on this. When, when she won, this is a sidebar, they had a, 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 a cover that said, Red Alert. Red and alert, it talked red about, like, socialists is wins in the... No- but the New York Post cover editor is so good that they didn't choose, like, Alex Jones, a really ugly picture of her. Like, she looked very, very attractive and well put together because they know that it's read... The New York Post is read by a bunch of right-wing crazies, but they also have giant raging hard-ons for, like, women. So they <laughs> had to make her, like, look good, you know? So it's like the double play, you know? She's a so- scary socialist, but, like, look at this hot woman on the cover that, of the New York Post. You know what? They know what they're doing. They're fucking smart. A light bulb just went on over my head. That might be what went on when Breitbart did a blog post about me and used a really cute picture at the oh, top. Oh, wow. So again, your ego here. Maybe you are the Alex Jones of the, uh, of the I left. was like, I know I have uglier pictures than that on the internet <laughs> and yet someone someone there likes me maybe someone's got a little a little hate boner for old jamie peck jamie's gonna start selling like brain brain enhancing juice <laughs> <laughs> jamie peck and mike cernovich productions oh my god that's uh, cernovich cernovich.com jamiepeck.com this is the same meme that uh this is the same meme that has like Endless government welfare as okay. a demands. Yeah, yeah well, it's good. Let it's me good. read it. Let me read it. All right. Do it. Do your Alex Jones. If you think Venezuela is awesome, you'll love Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. <laughs> Believes in bullet points. 
flooding America with illegals who vote. <laughs> okay. okay. The worst. The worst kind. Oh, <laughs> overthrowing the Constitution. Yeah. On board. All right, cool. Go Disarming on. all citizens. Yeah. Yeah. Never-ending government handouts for all. Yeah, Completely sure. On board. I mean, that's a transitional program, but yeah. Class tribal warfare against whites. And, uh... Government around <laughs> third world healthcare. We shouldn't have started counting off. <laughs> <laughs> we, need, yeah. we need good government health care, not third world health care. Yeah. Government monopoly over education. All right, we mostly have that, but yeah. Public education okay. is wonderful, and it's getting taken away. Yeah. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> Weakening police while gangs run rampant. Fuck yeah. Our gangs. <laughs> okay, and here are the results. <laughs> Y'all ready for the results? Y'all ready? <laughs> uh, this is... Go this on, is Alex. no laughing matter, okay? I'm, we got, we got a hemp. Hold on, hold on. I just want to say that we now have a new reality TV show. Uh, it, it stars me, and it's called "Oops, I Married Alex Jones." <laughs> <laughs> that, d- damn right, babe. God, sex is going to be awkward tonight. Go on, go on. You are turning me on. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> See, see you in the bedroom, big. <laughs> wear, wear that outfit I like. That, the reptilian one. <laughs> the globalist. <laughs> She's the Jewish one. I, I don't know. Globalist kink. I ain't no Jew. I ain't no globalist. What, what are you talking I'm just about? Being dragged here? through family court. See <laughs> Rothschild Roth while, while we do it. See Rothschild. Oh, my oh God. God. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Go on, Alex. We've got, we're, we're I got some results for y'all. All right. <laughs> this is important. Pay attention. Economic collapse. Yes. Lawless violence. Yes. Oh, yeah. Unending human suffering. Yes. yes. Government genocide. Fuck yeah. The collapse of individual liberty. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Race wars. Yep. No, uh, actually, no. I mass starvation. I... Yeah. Total brainwashing of children. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Rampant unemployment that's what we got that's that's what's uh the future of the democratic party folks abolish work i love how rampant unemployment's like below government genocide <laughs> like government genocide plus there won't be any jobs it, what was the first one again what was the economic collapse if the if the, the it's like if it's t- being like ranked in order of how terrible things are and he puts economic collapse above everything else yeah. uh, i'm not sure there's an order there i think it's just a grab bag of things like half things that we really want and then have things that, you know, like race war that yeah. we don't want. Well, Except this... for my wife, who apparently is... Uh, also Alex Jones. Yes. Wait, what? Did Wait. I just say something? No, uh, you went to a fugue state. We're not sure what oh, happened shit. to you for the last five yeah, that minutes. Was really... We'll edit it all out. Wow, he must be more, even more powerful than he claims to be. Dark energy. That's what shit. happens when you're taking a brain-enhancing oh. juice or whatever. Mm, I wouldn't know anything about that. So this does bring me to kind of a serious point, though, if I may. I know everyone's got the giggles. Uh, when people say... <laughs> Who are, who's speaking right now? Is it Dana or Zool? <laughs> there is no Jamie, only Jones. <laughs> she sleeps above the sheet. <laughs> Six feet above the sheet. Mm-hmm. Um, she, you don't. You don't know that she that's sleeps not true. six feet under the sheets. Actually, in her in her like nuclear war bunker yeah. <laughs> with all the soylent and shit. Oh man, yeah. Her, Hiding from urban with mobs. Her MREs. <laughs> There's going to be mobs of urban types. Did Alex Jones just come back in the room? Yeah, I, I don't know. We, oh wow, he's getting all of us. He's, he's jumping he's, around. It's like I don't know. It's like uh, the Exorcist. <laughs> he jumps from person to person. Okay, so <laughs> sorry. Go on. Go on. Anyway. Um, one thing that stood out to me about every kind of coverage from like 
the positive coverage on MSNBC to the crazy, insane coverage on Infowars is they're like, this is the future of the Democratic Party. This is the new face of the Democratic mm. Party. And it makes me so fucking nervous when people say that. And I realize we should probably just, you know, keep our heads down and continue on the course that we're on because I have read our electoral strategy. I think it's sound. I know what the fuck I'm doing. But uh, uh, that, that is not at least I don't want to speak for the whole DSA. But after reading the document, I'm pretty Views damn expressed sure. expressed on the Antifada do not represent well, yes. that of the DSA. I'm pretty damn sure that that is not our primary or even secondary goal to realign the Democratic Party. Like, we can mm. use the Democratic ballot line as a tactical move so that we can win, so that socialist candidates can win, but nowhere on the list of, you know, primary to secondary to tertiary effects does it say we need to reform the Democratic Party and move it to the left. It might move to the left as a result of what we're doing, mm. but as far as I'm concerned... The most important thing that we're doing with these campaigns is we're building our base among the working class. We're getting in touch with more people, talking to them, listening to them, finding out what they care about, getting our name out there, getting the S word out there. You know, even if it's this like nice watered down definition of socialism, it's definitely better than like the red scares of old when even like a whisper of the fact that you're a socialist could get you totally blackballed from politics. So forever. Aaron, like, uh, no, go ahead. Um, it does that. Um, we like, you know, build our operations, figure out how to run a campaign and what we're doing. And like best case scenario, we can also get some reforms that put the working class in a stronger position relative to capital mm -hmm. so that, you know, when a crisis hits, when economic conditions change, when shit pops off, we're not just a bunch of wage cucks and we're ready to fucking Oof. fight. You said the C word on the show. But that's okay. We'll accept First that. First time ever. At least it was a female uh, identifying person that said it. Aaron, as a uh, individual within a international socialist grouplet, uh, what's your take on this whole uh, electoralism on the socialism line thing? Um, I mean, I think the main question is going to be this. There's going to be immense pressure on Ocasio-Cortez, right? And that's not, to, that's not meant to, like... Um, say at all, like call in her question and, uh, you know, call into question like the dedication that she has to the movement that she's building. Um, but I think that we can't underestimate the level of pressure that exists within official politics, within the Democratic Party, um, etc. I think that the one thing that I find important to recognize about someone like um, Ocasio-Cortez in, in this case, and this is, this is coming as someone who, look, I'm not like an expert on her campaign and I'm certainly not an expert on um, on electoral politics, but just as uh, as an independent socialist kind of observing, uh, or, you know, I'm, <clears throat> as a socialist, as, a, as just one speaking for myself as a socialist, like, observing this, I think the fact that, like, look, she's, she, she's willing to be, it, 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 she seems to be willing to be held accountable to a larger movement in this case, and I think that that really means something, and I think that the idea of having someone come out of a movement, run a successful campaign that inspires people to find out more about socialism and, and even to join socialist organizations, I think really shows that there's, there's something to be, there, there's, it, raises an important, um, it raises an important debate that is, that is happening and needs to be had within the socialist left about, you know, um, how, can we use uh, the electoral platform, not only the electoral platform, but like is there a way that we can use the Democratic Party in such a way to build the socialist left without sacrificing all of our independence? Because that's the really important thing. Historically, the most, I mean, the worst thing about the Democratic Party is that it's been the graveyard of social movements for, you know, 
as as far as I know, I mean, as far I mean, you know, uh, for the entire history of its organization, um, and uh, and that's and that's and that's really had a, like severe costs on the left, right? Like, yeah. Um, and and it's a big part of the reason that we're only just now being able to come out of you know the margins of American politics. Um, so uh, so we have to be very cautious in how we use it. But I think someone like uh, I think the experience of the Ocasio Cortez campaign seems to show that I mean you know there's there's something to I mean there's obviously something to this that the socialist left should be um, should be debating. Philip Foner went one step farther than that. He was a uh, he was Eric Foner who is now a. Um... Marxist historian at Columbia, but Philip Foner, his father, went as far as to say that not only is the Democratic Party the graveyard of uh, mass movements, but that the ballot box is the um, is the coffin of class consciousness. I so mean, that that's that's the more extreme version of the mm, same thing, mm, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, I think, a question that you know everyone here and everybody listening should ask themselves, uh, which I think you put quite eloquently is if this is already happening, then what's our relationship to it? Are we going to stand? Are we going to stand outside? Are we going to stand on the sidelines? Are we going to snipe? Are we going to, you know, shit post with purity politics Mm -hmm. online or, you know, are we going to have some relationship to this? Even if that relationship is, um, it could be symbiotic, but it could also be even antagonistic, but in a positive, critical way, you know, we should we engage or should we just sit on the sidelines? And that's what everyone has to ask themselves in the U.S. right now. I mean, I realize that this is something that seems actually like what I'm what I'm suggesting is something that seems like rather taken for granted on like many, many people who are coming around left politics now. And so the idea that I'm like, maybe we should consider, can we use the Democratic Party to popularize socialism in an era that exists like post like Bernie Sanders and, you know, uh, late pass. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's like, but this is, but for, for where I'm coming from, from the left and where it's certainly like where, where you like how, you know, the left wing tradition that you come from and that, that Andy comes from, you know, is something that uh, for me is something that I haven't really actually seriously considered, but I'm now thinking that needs to be taken more seriously on the far, on the left. I mean, I am also so having a debate to my left. I feel like yeah, I it's am better also... to be having it with, uh, to your right. right. Yeah. I mean, I'm also an electoral skeptic. Mm, uh, mm-hmm. I think there are really good arguments on both sides of this issue. Like we really both hashed sides, it out people. on episode five with Asher. Oh my God. So many horror people are possessing us today. It must be those nutcrackers we drank. <laughs> what they put in those? They put ghosts <laughs> in there. Cursed, they're cursed. Juice and ghosts? Question mark. That was an accursed uh, margarita I had. But like seeing the amount of energy and the number of people who showed up, even like seeing with my own eyes, the number of people who showed up, to the DSA meeting last week, to my North Brooklyn branch meeting, um, and people who showed up to volunteer for uh, Julia Salazar, who is actually one of us running for state senate in uh, New York right now. Shout out to Julia Salazar. You're cool. Uh, I actually canvassed for her yesterday, and uh, Ocasio-Cortez made a pretty good talking point when I was trying to explain to people who Julia is. I was like, well... If you like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, you will love Julia Salazar. And uh, people really seem to respond to it. And, like, I I have to believe that there's a way to do electoralism that does not take the wind out of our sails and does it in a smart way while keeping our eye on the long-term horizon always. Like, we we need Mm. a short-term, medium-term, and long-term goal. And I don't think anybody thinks that uh, the revolution's going to happen tomorrow. So, you know, in the meantime, people can't die waiting for the revolution. 
this is a good enough reason to do the reforms, whether or not they lead to social, actual socialism. But I do think there's a strong argument to be made that a lot of these reforms we're talking about put the working class in a stronger position. Um, also, like it's only one of many tactics mm. that we have. And mm. the way to do it right, I think, is when it's an organic product of a social movement and the electoral stuff is bubbling up from these things and it's like one of us it's one of us representing the rest of us you know as great a candidate as julia is it's not about her as a person it's about the issues and it's about talking to people about these issues and like empowering them to demand more Mm. and if that ends up getting us the reforms in the short term great if all it gets us is an expanded base among the working class that's great too. It, you know, it's just, just a question of um, of electoral strategy. It's also a question of like our relationship to you know a party like the Democrats that has been like historically funded by you know by corporations by uh, you know by the bosses and uh, and has worked for the bosses. And I think that um, but you know the United States has a lot of like electoral peculiar- peculiarities in our system. And I think that the the question for how we engage with that seems to me to be coming down to come to have to come down to you know is the candidate like running a campaign in such a way that it like builds social movements builds our side in other words not just like introducing people to the idea of socialism but actually like are people joining organizations and coming around organizations that can outlast the ups and downs of protests through the campaign and and to that degree how independent can we maintain uh you know what it is that we build through it Historically, I think attempts to kind of use the Democratic Party to popularize the far left have failed. But it seems to me that, you know, there's been recent experiences that like kind of suggest that maybe an opening could exist that, you know. Yeah, I mean, we're living in different social conditions than Mm -hmm. we were the last time people tried this. And like not for nothing, I think uh, a lot of people in leftist movements today are doing a pretty good job at welcoming new members and being nice to them. And it's a good balance of like, on the one hand, yes, there's political education. There's no substitute for knowing the theory underpinning what we're doing and why we're doing it. Um, On the other hand, I don't want people to feel stupid if they don't know enough about it. And like, I I mean, I, I'm trying myself because I'm like, I'm, I'm I'm a pretty friendly and outgoing person, but like, I get tired sometimes. Sometimes I don't want to talk to anyone. Like, we really all got to do our part. And, like, I think the ISO actually has a pretty good reputation as well for being, like, pretty nice and chill, at least uh, among the DSA folks I've talked to. You're you know, thinking like, of the ISO Spartacus people. League. Again, not the ISO. <laughs> the Spartacus are super chill. I'm actually, I'm actually a member of uh, the RCP, the Bob Vakianites. Oh, They're how, pretty chill. They actually... Uh, how chill are y'all? We, had a, we, we spoke with Brett the Maoist uh, last week and had a Brett really... Brett the Maoist. Yeah, Brett from uh, Rev Left Radio. Big shout out. That was an awesome episode. And uh, he's a Maoist. And I never, we never actually got into a big back and forth about like what contemporary Maoism means in the United States or abroad mm-hmm. or whatever. But you mentioned the RCP. I got to say, yo, they have fucking street game. Like all Maoist groups have fucking really good fucking street game. They're organized. Like when something pops off, like they come out into the streets, you know, and they fucking they they throw down. I guess my point is we don't want to be like this alienating intellectual circle jerk because I feel like left movements have fallen victim to this in the past. Totally. And part of that is also being more I don't want to say intersectional. But like we talked about on our two-parter episode with Justin, conscious of race, conscious of gender, conscious of like cultural differences between different people who are being in an organization together. And like 
these are all good things to be doing and i don't think any of it has to conflict necessarily that said um i do think we have to draw the line somewhere mm. in terms of 100%. especially who will support who we will support electorally so yes. maybe cynthia nixon might be a line and you draw. i think yeah i mean there are certainly arguments for and against but um if we endorse every progressive democrat I'm not sure what would be left to distinguish the Democratic yeah. Socialists of America from, like, you know, Justice Democrats, our revolution. Because we don't do on-paper endorsements as of now. When you endorse someone, that means we send a ton of our resources and our people over there to help you. So, I mean, especially with uh, the resignation of, um, of Justice Kennedy and, and all of the like horrible, monstrous, you know, there's gonna be this enormous pressure on socialists to like vote for whoever runs in, yeah. in the midterms and whoever runs in 2020. And I think that it's really important that we understand those risks on the socialist left, on the independent left, and, and find ways of making sure that the candidates that we run in our organizations and our movement remains independent from the, the wing of, uh, not just the centrist wing, but the, but the wing of the Democrats that refuses to be held accountable to our side, that refuses to represent our positions, that doesn't have any interest in building our side, but just is interested in getting you know, donor funding and winning elections and, you know, and, and being in power. And so... Like, we talked about the difference between coalition and, like, joining someone's organization on the last episode. I think that's a really important distinction to make. Like, it's a hard pill for some people to swallow that we can't do everything. And some stuff might be good, but we still have to go with stuff that's better. So if we have, you know, I don't want to I don't want to use a catchphrase that's been used too much, but it is a bit of a zero sum game when you have a limited amount of resources. And it's like, oh, you know, we could give it to this uh, progressive Democrat who's challenging Andrew Cuomo, or we could give it to one of our own who is a socialist. And like, we absolutely know that she will be accountable to us because she is one of us. Like, I know which one I would choose. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, voting uh, as an act itself doesn't take that long unless you live in a racially gerrymandered place where they're trying to keep you from voting, which is, you know, a real thing that happens. Uh, we're going to talk about that in a second. But like, it's like not even an interesting question to me at this point in time. Like, ooh, should a socialist vote for a liberal? Like, I don't know. Would the left be better off under Donald Trump or fucking Hillary Clinton? Like, we had a revolutionary Maoist on the show last week who voted for Hillary Clinton in Nebraska. And like, you know, Adolf Reed wrote that article, like, vote for the lying neoliberal warmonger. It's important. And I think we're starting to see with the Supreme Court getting as fucked as it is right now, that it it actually was somewhat important that people voted for, oh, God, I can't believe I'm saying this, you know, the lesser of two evils. But, like, that said, uh, voting is different from where you're actually putting your resources and your mm. energy and your time into. So, like, I will always vote to minimize harm. I don't make it, uh, like, a personal expression of myself although i'm totally lying because i voted for jill stein in new york where i mean it did thanks for the trump victory <laughs> right she was never gonna lose new it york did, uh, absolutely jill, jill nothing, stein literally but... literally called the hillary clinton campaign and forced them to not campaign us <laughs> to not campaign in michigan yeah. it was it the russian bot that controls her or was it her it's hard to tell but like i think to finish out my thought i think on both sides of the issue people get really uh hysterical about voting it's like it's not a big deal. Just fucking vote. Uh, it's not where radical things are going to happen. It's just not. But uh, you got to do it. And then, uh, you know, vote for Hillary opposed her from day one. 
or whoever they fucking nominate this time around. My my analogy that I use is kind of a personal one, and it might be one that people out there share. But like when I was in my uh, late teens into my mid twenties, uh, whenever I'd go back to family gatherings. They'd be talking about television shows like Lost or like Survivor or whatever. And I'd make a big thing. I'd be like, I don't have TV. And they'd be like, oh, you don't watch? I don't own a TV. I don't watch TV. And they'd be like, oh, wow, that's weird. I'd be like, yeah, that's right. I don't fucking watch TV. It's the commercials and the fucking propaganda. Wow. You've really improved your diction since then, I baby. know. I know. It's, it's been a real progression. I took... Um, a brand, uh, some brand marketing classes. I was working on my core brand proposition. I took speech <laughs> lessons and everything like that. But yeah, like it's similar to that sort of knee jerk, like purity thing, like, uh, you know, cooler than thou. I, I got to take this hard fucking line on it. I mean, I, I'm not a big voting person, but I agree with you that it's just not a big fucking deal. Like, don't fucking die on that hill. Who gives a flying fuck? So speaking of the consequences of elections where hmm. people don't vote for neoliberal elections have consequences um we've seen some pretty bad decisions from the supreme court this week the first bad decision was making a supreme court can we just get rid of that we put that on the alex jones Infowars list abolish supreme court i mean i think that's on most of our agenda this Uh, point in time cool we can all agree yeah along with i mean yeah we just want to fucking burn it all down yeah but uh don't say the b word uh, okay cut that out but uh burn with an e right Yes. Burn, burn it all down. What? Bernie? Bernie. Bernie. Oh, burn I thought. Oh, my God. I'm so tired. I thought you meant like B-U-R-N-E. Like what? <laughs> like David Burn it all? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We That's are talking. Jamie's beached out. I'm She's so. I got out. the beach brain. I got sand in my brain. But no, um, the decisions that we've seen this week are pretty uniformly terrible. Um, a court, the Supreme Court upheld the Muslim ban, uh, racial gerrymandering, uh, the Janus case, which obviously uh. fucking terrible. And they upheld the right of crisis pregnancy centers to intentionally lie and mislead ooh, pregnant people in order to trick them out of getting an abortion. You mean use their freedom of speech to save the unborn? Uh, oh my god, I can't even joke about this. It's nah, so no, fucking it was terrible. really hard for me to even say like, those words. Go okay, ahead. so you can pass a law compelling actual doctors to give out false medical information to women who are seeking abortions. But if somebody who is not a doctor wants to dress up like one and give out false medical information, that's okay. Riddle me that. I saw a documentary online where uh, a woman dressed up. She wasn't really a nurse, but she dressed up in a nurse's uniform and she had a stethoscope and everything. And this guy had this a medical affliction and he was in a bed. And it turns out that she wasn't a nurse at all. She just wanted to have sex with him. Wow. And she jumped up on the table. And that, that, really, uh, that really threw me there. Like, what can we believe in if nurses aren't real? It's a common problem. I've seen yeah. a lot of documentaries Brazzers, to that effect I've myself. I've seen it on Brazzers.com. I saw it, uh, Seymour Hirsch thing. He did, a, he did a thing on it. Oliver Stone. It, it's, a real, it's a real problem out there. The, the fact that they base this on freedom of speech is also bullshit because the Supreme Court has decided for a long time now that you have a right to unrestricted speech so long as that speech does not constitute a clear and present danger to people, right? The example they always use is shouting fire in a crowded theater like this is a physical material harm that the speech poses and i think there's certainly an argument to be made 
that in the country with the highest maternal death rate in the fucking developed world, uh, lying to someone to keep them from getting an abortion actually does constitute an immediate physical danger to that person. Dead ass. That's why I can't even joke about that. It's fucking disgusting. No, they're they're just ghouls that don't believe that women are people. There's a certain kind of argument about the justices on the Supreme Court just kind of like interpreting the letter of the law or something like that. That's fucking bullshit. They say what they believe, they decide what they believe, and they come up with this really complex hair-splitting legal reasoning framework for it after the fact that like no reasonable person could possibly care about. Jamie, Aaron, Andy, I'm sorry to cut you off, but you know, you're erasing historical materials voices, okay? What I want to say real quick is that if you look at the history of the United States of America, it was not until the 1960s that the Supreme Court and the court, the judicial system in general became something that the left could look for for validation of various civil rights. For most of U.S. Yeah. history, it was a very, very reactionary, the most reactionary, the most reactionary branch of the, in the United States yeah. government. And we we're returning to form society. right now. So just like the New Deal mm-hmm. and the, you know, the, the post-war era where, you know, rising wages and riding, rising productivity was a bit of an aberration, we're seeing a fucking return to what is the norm, which is that the judiciary is there to block mob rule, yeah. to block uh, emancipatory uh, and uh, re- redistributive movements, uh, whether they come from Congress, whether they come from, from the executive, or whether they come from the streets. So, like, the Lochner Court, right, is obviously what people look back to, which shot down all the early New Deal proposals, right? Like, let's, liberals out there, if you're a liberal and you're listening to this show, don't fucking rely on the Supreme Court, all right, to fucking, for, to push your agenda. They've been reactionary you had a nice little honeymoon for a while because social movements forced them to not mm. be reactionary totally. but if you're going to sit there and wait for them to fucking decide you know whether you have the right to have i don't know an abortion or whether you have the right to organize as a union or you have the right to fucking you know come into this country whether you know you have brown skin or white skin or whatever it is don't fucking wait fuck the supreme court and fuck any fucking liberal out there who tells you that these are the people that grant us our rights. You grant your own fucking rights, all right? We put we make the rights in the fucking streets. Mm. So fuck all that shit. That's right. And similarly, you know, now that these decisions have come down, don't fucking throw up your hands and say, oh, it's over. You know, I guess we lost these rights and there's nothing we can do until these judges die and, you know, President Kamala Harris gets to appoint <laughs> some new ones yeah, or whatever. Yeah, President Cop. <laughs> I think like one right. of the things that's really important here is the Supreme Court shifts with movements and one of the and, and and certainly like you have like a like an abortion rights movement that has just completely lent itself over to the to any Democrat that's willing to say that like they'll stand up for Roe v. Wade to the degree that like you have uh the the one institution you I mean Planned Parenthood won't even defend itself. It actually counts on like left wing critics to actually yeah. come out and defend it and say like you have to stand up for yourself. Um I've been to a couple of demonstrations um, uh, counter counter protests in front of Planned Parenthood centers and um, in yeah, New York. They over the don't past few want years. you to do that, right? Didn't no, they, they're they're, ag- they're against that. Not only are they against that, but they're actually using like Trump laws and like Trump's NLRB to bust workers unionizing. Uh, at oh Planned yeah, Parenthood. I saw that. That's fucking bullshit. And it's just like, how did they also you... come out against single payer health care? They did. Yeah. The... I mean, is the reasoning that they're afraid that whatever single payer health care get, bill gets through will be so compromised that it will not cover abortion? 
and it's certainly not sorry just like you know it's certainly not like roping in um like Planned Parenthood like the people at the top of Planned Parenthood who represent them publicly to like media and stuff like that to rope them in with like people who volunteer there who work for them because like obviously um there are plenty of people who like who are uh, you know work as a part of Planned Parenthood who, who who disagree with this but the people who you know are who's you know, real political, uh, like, I mean, their livelihood basically depends on, like, shaking hands with, like, the worst milquetoast Democrats um, out there. And um, it's completely analogous to the union situation, right? So, like, mm-hmm. I am a rank and file trade unionist, as people know, and as is Aaron, which we'll talk about later on. But fucking for I don't know how many decades now, uh, because this um, history and this tradition of, like, militant struggle, you know, uh, on the shop floor and uh, on picket lines and on the street has been lost. Uh, what the unions have relied on as pretty much all the institutions that gained from all those decades of you know, progressive advance that we had over the last hundred years or so, they rely on politicians. It's a fucking game. It's a political yeah. game, right? So, oh, let's get this law passed about, like, oh, you need to get your OSHA 10. Let's pass this about you need, like, fall protection in order to be, in, like, blah, blah, blah. And it's, like, a roundabout way of going through politicians in order to strengthen your union when your union was created by fucking socialists. Mm-hmm. It was created mm-hmm. by at least business unionists who were smart enough to understand, like Samuel Gompers, that there was a real conflict between labor and capital. Planned Parenthood, I'm sure, wasn't fucking formed by people who were like, oh, well, yeah, you know, like, abortion's, like, a necessary evil. Uh, we want to do this because, like, you know, no one else will. And uh, yeah, let's safe, just... safe, legal, and rare, I yeah, believe, safe... was the messaging mm, from you. the Democratic thank Party. You. Thank you. Safe, legal, and rare. Thank you, Hillary Clinton, right? It was a fucking movement in order to emancipate women's right to control their fucking body. And why the fuck, like you talk about counter-protests, right? People expect things to go differently, but if you're letting the right wing go out and protest in front of Planned Parenthood, you're letting the contractors go and destroy unions, you're letting the fucking Janus decision go without a fucking general strike right now, right? Like, who the, where the fuck do you think that these laws, these rights fucking came from? They never came from some bourgeois politician, some capitalist, some philanthropist, gifting it upon us we fucking took that right so don't coast on some fucking bullshit oh we gotta support this the most progressive candidate in this race fuck yourself go fuck yourself well, i'm fucking pissed now uh, the, the whole beach is ruined like i, I forgot the whole be- the beach go day. back to the beach Sean. Uh, I, the beach is gone let me be clear Ugh. i just want to be clear i did not want this to happen you know, uh, I don't think any of us wanted any of these decisions to happen. Uh, we do not like things that are going to hurt currently existing working class people in any way, shape or form. Uh, but now that it has happened, we have options. We're not yeah. just going to roll over and die um, like this. Uh, it, we're not. But there's these, a lot of people these, say, oh, we have to wait till uh, 2018 to the midterms. These so that decisions. We can do yeah. Like fucking David Axelrod, who's like. Did we Fuck talk about him this and his last mustache. week? No, I don't think we did. I want to use his mustache to clean He's a fucking like, toilet. He's like, oh, the most important <laughs> thing. Give him a swirly. He was like, people should be civil to the Trump ghouls. Like, the most important thing right now is to organize, donate money to the Democratic Party, and most importantly, vote. And it should be like my civil right to backwards. give David Axelrod a fucking swirly because he's got a great mustache to clean the toilet. But no, I, think I, think, I think that, yeah, go ahead. I think the abortion thing is the perfect example because it is something that Democrats in good faith, want to protect. And one of the only issues that they haven't sold out too hard through the years, uh, and yet they've done a piss-poor job protecting it. Because 
the Democrat conception of a woman's right to choose or a person who can get pregnant's right to choose does not come out of it, it's disconnected from any type of larger Thank you. humanist Thank you. feminist movement. Right. It's just like you are defending the status quo of this one decision where a much better approach and I mean, I'm biased because I am a socialist feminist, but the socialist feminist approach would be to keep it pushing ever further, keep pushing it further. Like, mm. okay, maternal, now you have, like maternity leave. Like, All right, okay, how is that have, not connected to fucking yeah, women's? Now right. you have the legal right to an abortion. Um, we also want the legal right to pay for an abortion if you can't afford one. Yep. You also want the right to be able to have a child if you want to and adequately care for the child. Um, you want maternity leave. You Daycare. want. Uh, yeah, state-provided daycare, all of that stuff. Cradle-to-grave school. And I think this is, these are things school. that people want to pretend that we, the Democrats would have gotten us by now if it weren't for those meddling Republicans, <laughs> and that is just not fucking Fuck true. Bullshit. Well, like, in fact, like, so many of the, like, I mean, the one institution, I don't know, I guess to bring it back a little bit to Janice, is, like, the one institution that's consistently actually been able to, like, win those things for working-class women uh, hasn't been the Democrats. It's been unions. It's mm-hmm. been unions that have actually fought their employers and said, like, we need maternity leave, we need paternity yep. leave, we need, you know, on-site child care. I mean, those are things that have been lost um, over the decades as I think the uh, unions have, like, really demobilized their membership and relied more upon, like, political clout, like you were describing, Sean, um, to, to sort of, uh, you know, political clout and, like, you know, a, a stable relationship uh, with, with management that where, you know, what, where bargaining is more determined by, like, you know, handshaking than, like, mobilization on the, on the shop floor. Um, but I think the most impo- important thing to say about, you know, I, again, to kind of bring it back to Janice is, like, you know, I think, it's a, I think it is a real loss for the working class, like you were saying, Jamie, but I think it's also, like, a matter of, I mean, the most important message that we can say, like, I guess to, I guess to really to reiterate your point is that, you know, it's not over that this isn't the end of the labor movement. In fact, yeah. like, you know, the labor movement has proven in right to work states like in, uh, in New Mexico um, that it can win and it can make serious gains if you rely more on uh, the mobilization of your membership on the shop floor and in the workplace than you rely upon, you know, backroom deals and shaking hands with Democrats. Yeah. It, I mean, it really grinds my gears. It really chaps my ass <laughs> when liberals try and scold me like I'm a small child who just doesn't understand the world because <laughs> I have <Reagan>. a <laughs> systemic understanding of how change happens. And I see the Supreme Court as a trailing indicator of where we're at politically as a country, maybe like. 10 years before because it you know they they last a really long time usually but like i'm not saying that it's good that the supreme court is making these decisions i'm but but at the same time it's like how does this not discredit your system of bourgeois justice and your designation Mm -hmm. of the democratic party as the sole guardian of these rights like they have done a piss poor job by your own logic these rights (laughs) by your own logic and like i'm sorry i'm these rights are too important to leave it up to them going forward i mean we shouldn't leave like like you know we shouldn't leave like uh policy victories of the left or whatever we shouldn't leave like the fate of the left up to whether or not some 81 year old guy who spent his entire working life working for the american legal system uh to retire or not Right. Yeah. You like know. nobody wants to have to do this. Nobody wants to have to go to on strike. Nobody wants to have to fucking riot in the streets. Although I will admit to watching riot porn on occasion. I know TMI about our marital relations <laughs> well, I think, I think, once more. But like no one wants to do it. But that's like, our other kink. We're we're going to like we have to. 
we can't just take all of this lying down and we can't. Yeah, sure. Vote for fucking Democrats, but don't rely on Democrats to protect you because they have not done a great job in the past and they probably will not in the future. And again, I can't fucking say this enough. Okay, all you I'm not even going to address anybody by name. The people out there, okay, who think that electing the right person is going to gain you the rights that maybe were gained for people in the 1930s or 60s or 70s, electing the right person is the way to go. Open a fucking book. I'll, we'll do a whole episode on this, you know. Open a book and see how public sector workers got the fucking right to organize. Totally. It was illegal for them to organize. You know what made it legal for public sectors like, you know, are being affected by this Janus decision to be able to have a union is they went on illegal fucking wildcat strikes. Mm-hmm. They fucking shut shit down state by state in the federal government. And it was such a mass movement that neither the feds nor the states nor the municipalities, none of them could fucking deal with the disruption it caused. So ex post facto, they legalized public sector unions for labor peace. And what Janice does now, all right, and, and I think Alito in his uh, in majority decision talks about, well, there's no not enough justification for labor peace, you know, in this agency fees thing, right? What these motherfuckers forget whether they're on the Supreme Court, whether it's the Koch brothers sitting on some corporate board, whether it's the fucking Democrats, whoever it is, right? What they forget is that just because the union density rate is lower in this country, just because the working class is relatively quiet right now, does not mean the class struggle does not go on. Mm. The class struggle continues. As long as we have capitalism, there will be a conflict between capital and labor. So you want to give up on labor peace? All right? You want to drop labor peace from the agenda? We'll fucking give you labor war, motherfuckers. We'll fucking give it to you. Because we should have been acting for the last fucking 20, 30, 40 years while the working class was under attack that the National Labor Relations Act and Taft-Hartley didn't exist in the fucking first place, been wildcatting, been militant on the fucking shop floor, done secondary boycotts and all that shit. But if you were under the illusion that that labor system was going to protect you, there's no fucking illusions anymore. Hit the fucking pavement. Hit the fucking picket lines. Wildcat, do whatever the... Sabotage, do whatever the fuck you got to do. Because right now, they've thrown that out the window. The Supreme Court's thrown that out the window. The Democrats have let that get thrown out the window. So fucking fight. If there's no labor peace, there's fucking labor war. Hell yeah. Ah, what if Jones we, is back. What if we gave a general strike and everybody came? Seriously, we got to get back to that shit. Just throwing it out there. We, we got to get back to that shit. Anybody who fucking thinks that your rights, you know, whether on the shop floor or elsewhere, are given to you by some fucking suit-wearing, tie-wearing, motherfucking piece of shit, uh, fuck that. The rights come from you. You're dumb as a dog. You're dumb as a fucking dog. Go fuck yourself. You stupid bitch. You stupid <laughs> bitch. Bunch of twats. That's a little too much tuna for me. Speaking of labor rights oh, and boy. unions, <laughs> I'm going to pee, and then Aaron will tell us a little bit Sorry, more about white collar yeah. unions. Go off, King. I would love to. That was that was so hot, babe. You're going to get so many fans of every gender just from that one rant. So, speaking of labor unions, uh, our guest today was part of a recent organizing drive at The New Yorker that got quite a bit of media attention. Um, can you give us any updates on that? Or perhaps you'd like to talk about it in a more general way. <laughs> the campaign is still is still uh, ongoing. We haven't gotten recognition uh, yet, but with over 90% of the office uh, signing union authorization cards saying they want to be a part of a union, believing that you know, it's important to be a part of a union to have a voice at the table to, you know, to negotiate their workplace conditions. I think uh, 
you know, management at the company seems to be really uh, responding to that. So I'll, I can say I can say that. But I think, um, you know, it's still ongoing. So there's not a lot of details that I can um, that I can go into. I mean, I, I think that like the, the New Yorker Union um, effort, you know, I think it really succeeded in part because of a, a, a shifting at like a, you know, a real shift in uh, not only in media, but in like white collar workplaces in general. Yeah, I was going to say, but Aaron, I'm doing what I love. I have a liberal arts degree. Unions couldn't possibly be for me, or could they? Isn't $12,000 a year and, and with no benefits enough if it's something you love doing? <laughs> um, That's the Vice magazine oh, model. Oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> Joining a union doesn't have... I mean, it certainly doesn't have to be about uh, not loving what you do. In fact, I think... And certainly at The New Yorker, I mean, I think, you know, the precisely one of the reasons why people wanted to join the union was because they love what they do. They love the publication that they work for. Um, but it, it wasn't enough to, to be able to keep them there. I mean, for a lot of people, it was very, uh, for a lot of people, it's been very hard to imagine uh, continuing to work there over the next couple of years, contributing to something that they really believe in and doing something that they love and raising a family on it. You know, as one coworker put it really aptly, uh, for a long time, the expectation at the office has been that you were expected to eat prestige, to be able to eat prestige. <laughs> yeah. And um, heard I, that one before. And yeah. I think that, uh, you know, um, uh, the, the, you know, I think that the union is is uh, is a really important. I mean, you know, unions are the only way that workers have ever had a voice at the table. Um, but Aaron, I thought millennials were just a bunch of sexless, childless layabouts who would love to work for thirty thousand dollars a year forever and live in an apartment with six roommates because that's just the culture. <laughs> uh, I can't. I can't speak to the. I can't speak to the first two. Uh, you ever watch girls? That, that very might well be the case that many millennials are uh, sexless that's and childless. That's just what we're like. I mean, I think that, you know, one of the really incredible things that's been happening is, uh, you know, since the, um, you know, I mean, since the economic crisis, uh, like all the way back in, uh, you know, 2000, uh, 2007, 2008, um, you have a whole generation of people that are graduating school, going into the workplace with expectation, with, you know, with um, with expectations that they should be paid fairly for what they do, that work shouldn't have to be grueling, uh, that you know, uh, to put it as uh, as our friend from MSNBC said earlier, that they should be able to have bread and roses too, <laughs> not just survive but thrive, and exactly, and recognize that like you know the bosses aren't going to give that to you because you ask them nicely, politicians aren't going to give that to you because they're too spineless, but like one thing that can happen is that if you organize your coworkers, you can have a seat at the table and negotiate workplace conditions with management. And more and more people have been doing that. So just in the media, you know, 2,000 people, uh, um, over 2,000 people have joined uh, either the the News Guild, which is uh, what I'm a member of, or the Writers Guild of America um, over the past several years. Yeah, we saw Gawker do it. Vice did it. Um, (laughs) My favorite part of that recent uh, long juicy article that came out about vice in new york magazine was the tidbit that uh the union effort was kind of stalled until that fancy fancy fucking lad monthly or whatever came out with that article about (laughs) about shane smith's like 60 million dollar mansion in in malibu Malibu. and after that it happened very quickly Uh, I mean, I look think, at where all our surplus uh, value is going. And, and I think one thing to point out that, that's important is it, it's not just, uh, you know, sort of like newer digital media like uh, like Vice and Gawker. I think that those uh, campaigns really were able to show people across the industry that this is something that people can, um, you know, can, can do at their own workplaces. And more recently, you know, you had uh, certainly at our office, we were very inspired by the campaign at the L.A. Times and at uh, the Chicago Tribune. Um, not just because of, you know, uh, it's like 
old, not just because it's like older legacy, you know, quote, quote unquote legacy print media or whatever, as people say in the industry or whatever. It's but weird also, that they were not already unionized, no? Those two papers are actually some of the most traditionally anti-union papers in the country. Yeah. And what made, what made the, 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 like the, their editorial point of the view? Editorial, their oh, editorial shit. line was, uh, was aggressively anti-union uh, historically. Certainly the Chicago Tribune. Uh, and yeah, I mean, and the LA Times, like just as equally. I mean, yeah, they were very anti. They were very aggressively uh, anti-union um, papers, who were owned by um, by a company called Tronk, which was formerly known as Tribune Media. And when they where 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 they fought the union, I've got a lot of hard. dates off of Tronk. Actually, I swipe right always on Tronk. <laughs> Sorry, go on. Where they fought. Where Tronk fought the union very aggressively at the LA Times, they actually gave voluntary recognition to the workers at the Chicago Tribune. And I think that really suggests not only the strength of and the confidence of people of, of uh, you know, many people in the in white collar workplaces, especially in media, feeling confident that they can organize a, a union successfully, but that uh, that uh, the bosses in the uh, in this industry are increasingly recognizing that union organization is becoming a matter of fact. Um, and oh yeah, um, and it's, I mean I think to step out of media for a second, I think one thing that we've seen um, over the past two weeks that's been really interesting is that this isn't just a, uh, something that that uh, you know, for lack of a better term, I suppose, like um, this is something that like that uh, that young workers are increasingly recognizing. Um, that they have power in their workplace and that they can change their they, they can change their own conditions um, through that. So I think, you know, uh, we were talking earlier about like uh, about the Janus case and about um, you know the sort of like national right to work and public sector unions. Um, and I think the one thing that we have to look at more than like that defeat and that loss is uh, if we want inspiration, all we have to do is look at those teacher strikes that have been yes. like whipping across the country. Deadass. Um, and one of the reasons why the right has been pushing so hard for this is precisely because teachers have been some of the most like militant, uh, have represented some of the most militant and active and, and or, well-organized sections of the working class. And a lot of those, and a lot of those strikes, the the people at the center of them, I mean, not exclusively by any means, but a lot of the people that have like you know taken on a lot of the leadership in those strikes and those mobilizations have been young workers who come into education and who know that who who don't, um, I mean, who who you know, really understand that if you're going to get anything, you're, you're not going to get it. If you're going to change anything, you're not going to change it by asking politely. You have to fight for it. Hell yeah. Here, here's a uh, fun, fun little anecdote. And I won't tell uh, the name of the person who told me this because he is a rank and file teacher at uh, the DOE in New York city. But he basically said that um, the way the votes break down right now within the uh, New York city AFT uh, retirees get the same vote as current, uh, you know, younger teachers do at this point. Basically, there's a conservative. That doesn't seem fair. It doesn't. They're actually trying <laughs> they're to. They're not the that. ones who have to go to work well, still. But they have a lot of uh, say because they're the ones that are sitting on their retirement, which they earned for all those years. So mm. whatever. But the younger, if you look at the people who are actually teaching right now, if you took the retirees out of the voting pool in terms of the democratic process of electing union leadership, it would actually go to the, uh, I'd say, soft Trotskyist uh, caucus. Aaron, Hell you yeah. might you might be hyped on that. Uh, that exists within the uh, the AFT uh, because basically, like the younger group of teachers and the teachers who are facing the material conditions right now under education are far more radicalized. So when like I don't know, in like four or five years, ten years maybe, when like all those re- <laughs> retired New York City teachers in Florida, you know, shuffle off their mortal coil. It's entirely possible that in that white collar union, you might actually see some movement because 
it's kind of like like you said a generational thing right I mean, I really think, I don't think it's exclusively generational, but I do think that you do have to take into account the fact that you have young workers who are disproportionately sympathetic to unions, who are disproportionately critical of capitalism and sympathetic to socialism are entering workplaces and are being told that, like, you know, hey, if you're doing what you love, you got it good, you know, who are told, you know, their entire life, like, follow your dreams or whatever, and they come into workplaces, and then, you know, they're told that you can't have parental leave if you have a kid, that you're going to be make, like, you know, poverty wages, and that you have, like, one week of vacation. And what you said... that's okay, though, because we're perma-children. That's just our culture and our values. It's certainly not the other way around. Right. It's not like one's material conditions could determine one's culture or values or lifestyle. That's ridiculous. What you talked about with living on prestige, like, kind of reminds me of the German term Luftmenschen, I think, which means like people who survive off of air it's like there might have been a time when like getting a job at the new yorker and the prestige that was attached to that could have been a stepping stone to like a higher uh level of like media uh i don't know uh, employment shit but there's not anything it's not there anymore there's like there's no higher level than the new yorker that's what i'm saying so the there hasn't been i don't know that that there has ever been that's what I'm saying. So that prestige, the idea that you can live off of prestige and like $20,000 a year may have like uh, gaslighted some people like 20, 30 years ago. But with a media landscape now, like where do people think they're going to go from the New Yorker? Like the New York Times is like 300 jobs there. There was like, a you're not... New Yorker. Uh, there's a political cartoon from somebody in the New Yorker Union, I assume, of like Lucius P. Featherbottom or whatever that guy's name is. <laughs> uh, looking at a looking at a. Uh, a butterfly. Oh, the butterfly. And meme. the butterfly was labeled uh, cultural capital or cultural prestige or something. And he's saying, is this a fair wage? Wow. <laughs> I actually can't believe I didn't see that. You one. didn't do that? No, you didn't I, do that I just assumed that you made that. Yeah, you're like the me- like socialist meme master over there. I mean, surprise, surprise, there's a lot of really creative people that work at the New York. Yeah, fuck mm, yeah. Don't say. Well, I, I think... Um, I have a bit of more of a jaded view of uh, this uh, media organizing drive because, like... I don't want to send the message that it's easy. Like, you should definitely do it. People should do it. But it's, like, really hard work, and it might not always happen. Like, I can say this now because it's over, and it's definitely not going to happen. But I tried to organize my company. You tried hard. And it did not go so well when I worked at Spin Media. And yet, I I mean, it was slow. It was really slow going. um, Are you saying it wasn't glamorous work? It was, like, really painstaking anonymous work? Uh, yeah, I would say so. I mean, I didn't care if I got fired from death and taxes. So that was like a plus a point in my column because Fuck I just you, Brian. hated that job so much because my shitty boss was a stupid asshole who sexually harassed me and had bad politics. His name starts with a B, ends with a Ryan. Fuck that. I mean, the only reason I did not write a Me Too story about him is because he's too much of a nobody for anyone to care. So... Uh, we'll I deal guess, with him after the rest. I guess there are some advantages to being a fucking loser that nobody cares about. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I uh, I talked to a whole bunch of people one on one. Nobody wanted to help me do this. Mm. They, they were they were all pretty positive about it, but they're like, also, you know, I don't want to stick my neck out. I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to do any extra work at work. Everyone's like looking for the next thing. Like, oh, why are you looking for the next thing? Why don't you want to stay here for years and years? Probably because your job is shitty and it sucks and there's high turnover and like you don't think you have a voice in the company because you don't. So like it takes work to change that. I was willing to put in the work. Not a lot of people were. They were all really, uh, I don't know, like I think some of it might be a class thing. 
Like mm. a lot of people who work in media are sort of uh, downwardly mobile children of privilege. I mean, self-included, but it hasn't really hit home for them yet that this is like not a sustainable way to uh, live or run the media. Uh, it also like obviously decreases the diversity in the media, which is definitely a bad thing. I think we can all agree like you shouldn't have to be from a privileged background to uh, be a writer or a reporter or whatever. Um, but like even more than that, I think they just didn't think it was possible or they like people want to bet on a winning horse. They want to be on a winning side. And like I I got a little not too much hostility, but like. I don't know, maybe it was a function of my own personality or whatever, but some people just did not want to talk to me. And still, I tried so hard. I used all the interpersonal skills I had at my disposal and then some. And like I saw that some people were mad uh, about how the Gawker unionization drive went. They didn't felt like they were really in the loop. So I was like, oh, I'm going to be sensitive and slow and blah, blah, blah. And then I talked to Hamilton Nolan, actually, mm. one of the Gawker union guys. Mm. Hamno. Hamno. Shout out. Uh, at one of read his... Capital, Hamno. You do you do great work, but you do even better if you read Capital. Go on. I think he's read a part of it. I think I asked him about this once. Uh, but um, I went to one of his volumes two, three. Oh, I went to one of his media labor happy hours, and he's like, "What are you doing? Just make a Facebook event." So mm. I was like, "All right, I've talked to enough people. Probably I've got enough people on board at this point who would like say they would sign a card." So. Maybe I will. And I've been talking to the WGA folks. They were helping me as much as they could from the outside. But it was really up to, you know, people who work at the company and everyone wanted me to do it for them, which is kind of uh, not the by definition. A union is something that you do together. Right. So they're like, oh, you know, crazy Jamie. She's a communist. She's just going to do this shit and maybe it'll work out and maybe it won't. But it's not on us. So I was actually working on making the Facebook event. Mm. with the wga when the sale went through and this happened over christmas break Mm. when we were all out Mm -hmm. is when they announced it the company half of it got sold to a bigger company that owns uh, billboard and the hollywood reporter and some of the sites including sites where i had you know got some strong supporters just like were cut off cut cut adrift to wither and die in the seas of uh the current economic landscape so after that happened i was like fuck like this is a, a much bigger company i don't know anyone there it occupies the whole floor of a fucking skyscraper in midtown it's a whole floor and i was like this was the only thing keeping keeping me going at this job like i hated my job so much you remember babe like yes, I, I came home crying from the dnc because my boss was so mean to me during the whole two weeks that I did the RNC and the DNC. Welcome to my world. My foreman, you're a prick. I know you're not listening to this, but fuck you. And my shop steward, you can fucking go fuck yourself. So, so after that, I was like, I can't do this anymore. And then I went to a witch circle with my good friend, Debbie, <laughs> where we all cried and talked about our feelings. You took mushrooms too, I don't d- lie. I was maybe on mushrooms and or Plant acid medicine. at the time. She roped us into a witch circle. It felt right. We burned some sage. It was a new moon ceremony. So we wrote... Uh, the things we wanted to get rid of on Did you pieces of paper. Into the ground? We menstruated into the ground. It was beautiful. That's, Gaia a, that's a labor action me. right there. And uh, you ate a child. <laughs> it <laughs> made was, matzah out of its blood. No, like De- Debbie's. Oh she's God, definitely working religion. up to that. Like she sent us a she sent us a photo of a pig that was uh, sacrificed and eaten at one of these solstice rituals. And uh, I'm like, wow. One of these days, she's just gonna send us a photo of a human. 
And uh, we're all going to be like, hmm, that's cool, Debbie. I somehow missed this whole part about a, but like anyway. a, a, a witch circle at the last Labor Notes conference. About- <laughs> <laughs> That's in the workers' toolbox, the militant workers' toolbox, I mean, a witch circle. Like, social democracy is a code word for communism, and communism is a code word for Satanism. So. <laughs> Hell yeah. like, I, you may be, like, a couple steps removed from the program. Listen, fedoras, where you're really going. I never felt so red. <laughs> I mean, but I, anyway, I, I quit my job right after that and admitted defeat, and it sucked. Oh, and not to mention, it really, sorry, it really would have helped us to have a union at the time of the sale Mm, because a lot of people lost their jobs and they got, you know, in some cases, oh, and the severance was based on the the amount of time that um, Spin Media in its current or now prior iteration had existed. So like someone who worked at Death in Taxes for several years only got severance based on his seniority since the sale to Spin Media. Look, people I know, I know who were at Al Jazeera English. I believe that they announced their union, or they had a. It hadn't gotten recognition yet, but when they were um, closed, they were able to, you know, or um, to negotiate their severance. Uh, the union at uh, Univision at Gizmodo, um, you know, like a union can't prevent unions right now are not going to prevent, uh, you know, terrible stuff from happening at work. They're not going to prevent layoffs. They're not going to prevent, you know, a lot of things. I mean, I think there's a lot that could be done within the labor movement to organize to make sure that. Uh, you know, that stuff doesn't happen. But right now where things are at, like, you know, it's a lot to ask for for a union to be able to, like, prevent, you know, every single layoff. But what they were able to do uh, at Gizmodo was negotiate their severance uh, to, like, something really, uh, you know, something considerably higher than what management was initially offering. And I think that's really important to have. Yeah. And some people want to say that if we unionize in the media, there's just not enough money to go around and it's going to make our jobs go away. It's going to kill the industry. The industry is dying no matter what we do. Well, I don't, I also so don't we might as well have, have a money soft to throw around when they're hiring expensive consultancies and in some cases ex- very expensive anti-union law firms in order to fight their unions. Yeah, yeah fair, fair, fair. I mean, I do think that one thing you said earlier I think is just really important to reiterate, uh, just, I don't know, is, uh, look, unionizing is difficult. There's a reason why people don't do it all the time. It's often, in, you know, in, in especially maybe in white-collar, like, you know, or so-called professional unions, um, maybe it is more, like, immediately rational to, you know, instead of like changing your workplace conditions, try your hand at the labor market to improve your workplace, uh, to improve your own conditions or something like that. Um, and it takes a lot of work. It took years for us to even build and organize. I, I wasn't, you know, I didn't start, uh, and not that anyone um, here is saying that, but I've had to clarify this to some socialist friends of mine. You know, I didn't start the drive at The New Yorker. I was brought in after years of organizing had happened. Um, and it was able to get on, you know, early on in like a whole new phase of it. It takes a lot of work to do this stuff and to talk to your coworkers. And it takes a lot of patience and a lot of, uh, I mean, especially a lot of patience, not just with people that you're talking to, but with your own workplace conditions. It's very difficult to do. It takes a lot of time. It was very unglamorous and boring. I had uh, drank way too much coffee for a year because mm-hmm. I would talk to my coworkers and say, hey, can we get a coffee and talk about work? And um, and that was really hard. Uh, it's very difficult to do uh, it's also the, you know, I've been a socialist my entire adult life and unionizing my workplace was the most politically rewarding thing I've ever done. Fuck yeah. Hell yeah. And uh, failing to unionize my workplace was one of the most disappointing things I've ever failed to do. And yet I learned a lot from it. So, you know, to round out this discussion on uh, white collar or media unions, um, you know, to channel Kaiser Soze for a second, um, you know, the greatest trick the devil ever played in the United States with its labor law 
was uh, to codify that white collar professional workers uh, mm. who work for a wage are separate from blue collar workers. There's a lot of critique of the um, NLRA uh, mm -hmm. and the, the Wagner Act of the 1930s and the Taft-Hartley Act, of course, of the 1940s about what it did in terms of taking domestic labor, which usually meant uh, POC uh, female labor in the South, and also uh, farm labor, which meant sharecropping labor, black and yeah, white in the South. Can you explain what these acts were for people who don't know? Mm. Well, the Wagner Act was the National Labor Relations Act, which created the National Labor Relations Board, which is essentially the labor regime that we live under to this day uh, that created a separate body that mediated between labor and capital and for the first time in U.S. history codified the right for people to collectively bargain and organize within a workplace. It happened under the New Deal, early in the New Deal, and uh, was instrumental in creating the mass industrial unionism that we saw not only in the 30s and 40s, but continued into the Fordist era of the post-war period in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, the quote-unquote golden age of American capitalism, where, you know, you could go from job to job and you can make a good salary, you could raise two, three, four kids, send them to college and all that good stuff. Uh, that whole Make America Great Again thing was predicated on a certain segment of the working class, which is to say a white uh, industrial working class, being able to collectively bargain within the workplace in order to get all the things that uh, we're fighting a rear guard action to try to get back again, like pensions and stability in the job, yada, yada, yada. But um, the greatest trick the uh, bourgeoisie ever pulled was to try to separate white-collar labor from blue-collar labor. Because within all of these laws that were passed in order to create a labor relations re regime in the United States... Certain segments of workers were excluded from that, uh, and a lot of that was white-collar workers. So if you look at the huge difference between, let's say, the labor history of European countries that have like very strong social democratic states and have a lot of still-class unity based around that, and the U.S., it was that um, those countries were able to basically have the white-collar professional class also be within the labor movement. Therefore, there wasn't this sort of false, I don't know, um, antagonism between people who put a blue collar on, people put, who put a white collar on or a pink collar on or whatever. Oh, you um, mean like the memo circulated by Jonah Peretti where he says that unions are only for construction workers? Right. I mean, I am one of those, and I would really love to um, see more and more white-collar workers organized because... We need to break down those boundaries between what we are as proletarians. And if I'm sorry, if you're making fucking $25,000 a year working for Vice or a New York magazine, you're just as pro as somebody who fucking goes and like, you know, fucking bangs on with a demo saw or a chipping hammer for fucking eight hours a day, right? You're selling your labor to survive. Oh, you mean you can't pay your rent in cultural capital? In the building trades, we cannot pay our rent in any capital whatsoever like, we have zero, we have negative i don't know about capital. you but whenever my rent is due i just get my i get the landlord invited to some really cool parties <laughs> yeah. and that's totally enough i try to bring the landlord to the work site to uh watch us fly like giant prefab pieces of uh concrete and uh never sh they never show up so it doesn't work out but there's one it was there was an attempt to to do this right like it's not that the american left the american labor union didn't try and when I was a uh, teacher for uh, apprentices and trade unions before I actually decided that, wow, these K 
kids made a lot of money and I want to do what a lot of my family members did, which is join the trades and actually have like a stable, good paying job. Uh, one of the stories I would tell them is about um, the stockbrokers going on strike in uh, 1946. Huh. Does anyone know about this? No. So imagine they're looking back uh, stockbrokers on strike. Stockbrokers in the 1940s were basically like these, you know, very poorly paid, you know, schlubby fucking guys with uh, fedora hats who would go and they'd like put the tickets up and say bye, 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 sell, yeah, sell, sell. I just sell. know they yell that out a lot while waving little pieces of paper. Exactly. Is that right? Yep. That piece of paper they'd yell. That was their job, basically. Like stockbrokers now, you make a lot of money. But back then, it was just kind of a menial job. And the stockbrokers um, before Taft-Hartley in 47, which was a very reactionary bill that took away a lot of uh, labor rights in this country. In 46, the stockbrokers put up a hard picket in front of the New York Stock Exchange. And this was a white collar uh, movement in order to organize stockbrokers in the U.S., believe it or not. And the cops were like laughing and the bosses were laughing. They're like, ah, these fucking stupid, you know, stockbrokers, these fucking cucks, you know, we're going to break up their picket line real easy. So the cops came and uh, they said, hey, stockbrokers, you have to disperse. You know, you're not legally allowed to organize. And they started to rough these guys up. But this is a beautiful thing. And I think it shows like a multiverse where we could have had a different American labor history because at that moment. Uh, a call had been made to uh, their fellow proletarian brothers in the Seafarers International Union, which was right up the street from Wall Street. So as the cops came in to break up the stockbrokers picket line, about 4,000 maritime workers with uh, basically um, axe handles and uh, giant fucking poles and other tools that they used on their job ran up and uh, defended the stockbrokers beat the shit out of the cops and uh, basically joined the picket line with the stockbrokers. So that goes to show, again, you know, this false dichotomy between like, okay, so you do industrial labor, you do construction or this, that, and the other thing, or you do like media work or you're an ask me like civil servant employee. So you're in different categories. Like, why would you want to organize? You have a high prestige job. There was the possibility 70 years ago Within the labor movement, there were radicals pushing for this, for that to be collapsed mm. and for us to have an entirely different type of labor movement that brought in workers from all different sectors together. But the bourgeoisie and the state thought it, and they were smart about this, thought it very, very uh, advantageous to them to keep these sectors of the workplace pa- uh, apart from one another. So the, Seafa- the Seafarers Union ended up coming in in solidarity and smashing up the cops. And uh, the stockbrokers end up losing their strike anyway because in uh, 47, the reactionary Taft-Hartley law comes down. But again, this is kind of an alternative history right now where white-collar, blue-collar, pink-collar workers could have organized together, could have been part of a larger labor umbrella that had militancy, not just in what we consider to be the white working class or the industrial trades, right, but could have been spanned across the entire economy. So the union density rate would have been a lot higher, and obviously we would have not had a lot of the sort of, I don't know, like uh, resentment that you see between these white collar folks and like, oh, you're just a mechanic or you're just a carpenter. Or you're just this, that and the other thing. You know, you have a union. Why do you make so much money? You know, I'm slaving away making this fucking uh, spin media money. Um, so can you imagine that happening today, by the way, like the I want fucking to. fishmongers come down to the New Yorker building and like join the picket line all <laughs> 
all salty and sea scented. That's the world we want. That's the world uh, leftists want to see. I mean, we've been seeing a little bit of uh, sort of cross-profession solidarity with the teacher strikes, right? Like the bus drivers joined in and all the different um, cafeteria workers and auxiliary workers related to the schools. And like they have also been striking for the benefits of those workers, too. And teachers are in a unique position because... uh, they're so such a central part of the community. Like Sam likes to harp on this a lot because he's a dad. Like parents want to talk to teachers as much as possible. So they're uniquely well positioned. And, you know, we'll hopefully show solidarity with more different professions as these things progress. I think what you're saying also speaks to how little vocabulary Americans have right now to talk about class. And mm-hmm. in a lot of instances, class has been completely replaced by cultural signifiers Um, I think oftentimes race is also used as a substitution for class. But um, one neat trick of the one weird trick that liberals hate. uh, One thing that the conservative movement has done and that uh, right populism has done is change the definition of the elites from the financial elites to the cultural elites. so So that a fucking, you know, upper middle class like small business owning dad who owns like a car dealership but has like uh what did chapo say about him like a fucking horseshoe over the front of his house and a ford f-150 considers himself to be part of the working class because he you know watches fox news all day and hates books when in fact like no dude you are part of the capitalist class you are part of an exploiter class meanwhile you know i'm working away at the fucking blog factory (laughs) <laughs> working overtime or the podcast like, mines, right, I'm, click right mines. I'm working overtime <laughs> at the fucking click mines making like you know twenty thousand dollars a year or whatever but i'm dealing with words and uh you know maybe using my degree that i got in college so that somehow makes me like a higher class person than the aforementioned right it, it, it is a total distraction and it's something that hopefully this younger generation, uh, as you guys have spoken about with your organizing campaigns and what we've seen across this country, hopefully will get past, which is a true class analysis, which is that all the people that have just one thing to sell in order to survive, which is their labor power, their ability to work with, whether that's with their muscles or with their brains, actually have far more unity with one another and should have solidarity with one another than uh, the F-150 driving, ski do dealership-owning fucking uh trump voting piece of shit yeah don't take it from david brooks uh knowing the names of fancy sandwiches does not have any bearing on your uh class relations to uh the mode of production but also too like fancy sandwiches that's actually awesome. how i pay my rent prosciutto prosciutto in knowing great. the names of fancy sandwiches whenever, whenever my Gabagola. landlord asks me for for my rent i always just start reciting the names of different cured <laughs> capicola c- c- cured meats yeah <laughs> So uh, it's now... Um, I eat my avocado toast. And he's like, oh, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> That's more than enough for me. So we're now uh, finishing up, and it's 10.24 p.m. on July 1st, uh, 2018. And it looks like in Mexico that AMLO, uh, Obrador, the uh, leftist candidate, uh, is uh, mm-hmm. set to win in the election. But uh, we will pick up with Mexico uh, in, a, in a day or so and then finish this episode out. <laughs> uh, actually, can I finish with my attempt at an Alex Jones impression? Everyone else tried. I didn't get a chance to. No, go to. for it, yeah. Okay, hold on. <clears throat> Alex Jones. I'm concerned with the structure. I'm concerned with the systems of control. Those that control my life and those that seek to control it even more. 
I want freedom. That's what I want. And that's what you should want. It's up to each and every one of us to turn loose of just some of the greedy, the hatred, the envy, and yes, the insecurities, because that is the central mode of control. Make us feel pathetic, small, so we'll willingly give up our sovereignty, our liberty, our destiny. We have got to realize that we're being conditioned on a mass scale. Start challenging this corporate slave state. The 21st century is going to be a new century. Not the century of slavery, not the century of lies and issues with no significance and classism and statism and all the rest of the modes of control. It's going to be the age of humankind standing up for something pure and something right. What a bunch of garbage, liberal, Democrat, conservative, Republican. It's all there to control you, two sides of the same coin. Two management teams bidding for control, the CEO job of Slavery Incorporated. The truth is out there in front of you, but they lay out this buffet of lies. I'm sick of it, and I'm not going to take a bite out of it. Do you got me? Resistance is not futile. We're going to win this thing. Humankind is too good. We're not a bunch of underachievers. We're going to stand up, and we're going to be human beings. We're going to get fired up about the real things, the things that matter. Creativity and the dynamic human spirit that refuses to submit. Well, that's it. That's all I've got to say. It's in your court.